Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is sponsored this week by Jimmy John's Gourmet Sandwiches. Jimmy John's has three locations in Amarillo, two along I-40 and one downtown near the ballpark. With baseball season in full swing, the downtown location is open for all home games, and these franchise locations are owned and operated by an Amarillo resident. Jimmy John's in Amarillo. This episode is also sponsored by Six Car Pub and Brewery. Besides the food and drink at Six Car, which is excellent, what I love about this restaurant is how community-oriented it is. They work closely with local nonprofits, they host events like a weekly trivia night, and they're working hard to keep Polk Street fun. So visit sixcarpub.com or at sixcarpub on Instagram. Today's guest is Coben Puckett. Now, I first met Coben back in 2016 when I wrote about him for a magazine feature. Coben lives outside Canyon, and back then he told me his story about his rise on the National Professional Bull Riders circuit back in 2008. Coben was on his way to the PBR World Finals. He was a huge talent in that world when he was thrown from a bull, stepped on by that bull, and ended up suffering a spinal cord injury. Now, that article for Amarillo Magazine was about his recovery efforts, everything that he was going through to, to heal from it. But back then, Coben was in an electronic wheelchair. When we met for this interview this year, it was just a couple of weeks ago, Coben wheeled himself in on his own. That's how much he's progressing in his efforts. He's come a long way, and so has the Coben Puckett Invitational, a PBR event that's this Sunday at Amarillo National Center. So this is a really fun story. Here's Coben Puckett. Coben Puckett, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me on, Jason. Well, it's uh, it's it's my pleasure. I uh, I was telling you earlier before we started that you're one of those guests that I've wanted to talk to since I began the podcast, and I just haven't made my way to it yet. So I'm glad we've uh, we finally had the opportunity to do it. Man, thank you so much. Yeah, That's sure. So I means a lot. Your your story is um, is one that I, is is really fascinating to me, and and so I'd like to just kind of walk listeners through the whole thing. So let's start at the beginning. How did you end up in this area in the first place? I would say I grew up in Clayton, New Mexico. Okay. When I turned 17, graduated high school, my father moved to Canyon because he is turned into the uh, office manager for Nutrition Plus. What that is is a cattle and livestock nutrition mineral company. So they made the move here. I came along and... As my professional career started when I turned 18, I was based out of Canyon, Texas. Okay. And so I've been here since, and that's the transition that brought me to the area, and that was in 2007. Clayton is, for one thing, being in New Mexico is a little bit different. It's it's also a a bit of a smaller town. I mean, did it feel like going from Clayton to Canyon like a big change, or did you like take the larger Amarillo area into part of that context? I mean, did it, did it feel like a big a big switch for it you? It didn't feel like a big switch because I had traveled quite a bit already in life. Amarillo still felt small when you compare it to other places you go right. and visit. And coming to Canyon, oh, Canyon just had the hometown feel and still does. They're just dressing it up even more. So yeah. living in Canyon, I just have fallen in love with the place the more I've lived there. So the transition from Clayton is like going up the scale like a lot. Okay. I like it way better. 
Were you involved in like rodeo or agriculture, that kind of stuff in Clayton? I mean, was that part of your upbringing? That's a big part of uh, my upbringing. Who I am is agriculture based. I was born into a ranching family and that transitioned and moved when uh, dad moved up to Clayton. He started selling livestock nutrition mineral. So I was involved in 4-H. I judged, I showed, showed sheep, showed horses, started junior rodeo on it at a very early age. And by the time I was, you know, 15, I was going and competing against adults in bull riding. So that's definitely my roots. Yeah, tell me how you you sort of got to that point cuz as as i understand there's a lot of kids that are involved in rodeo but not every kid thinks okay i'm going to i'm going to be a pro or i'm going to pursue this longer you know for some it's a it's a short lived you know sort of passion when did you know that like you wanted to go deeper and you wanted to keep competing at at that level it was a dream of mine since i could remember i was told by my parents that that's all i thought about as a 2 and 3 year old i don't remember but that's all i played was bucking bulls when did I really know I wanted to go professional I guess once I got my feet wet competing against some adults and I'm just some high school kid and I'm winning open events and I was like yeah this is I want to make the PBR finals as soon as I'm 18 and I believed it was possible at that point was there anything that you can point to that explains why you were so good at it I mean was it something about your physicality was it your mentality I mean what what was it that made you good I was blessed with natural talent. I know there's people that are going down the road that work harder than what I worked in, and they've made it themselves good. Uh, My dad was a bull rider. Um, My mom, PRCA barrel racer, so maybe it's in my blood a little bit. Yeah. And mentally, I just craved it. I loved it. I was involved with raising bulls for a little while, was blessed to get to have a bull make the PBR finals when I was just 14 that me and my dad had raised. Okay. And so that bull, I actually got on when I was 16 and rode him successfully, you know, a PBR finals bull. You know, that's, they only take the best 60 bulls in the world to the finals or 90 or however many go. So that's a pretty high skill. And I think it's the sport's so fast paced. So you just have to have quick muscle reactions. It's 90% mental, 10% physical and a clear head and a good desire to react and compete and counter the bull's moves is there any way to practice for it i mean is it something you can prepare for like when you're not in an event i mean i I don't i don't know other than like a mechanical bull you know how you really can can prepare for what's going to happen because you can't predict any of it no not really it's uh you practice basics and i had what was called a mighty bucky it's a uh a form of a bucking machine but a lot of the professionals use it to train on. It's not mechanical. Okay. It's uh, you have to bucket itself. It's made by Terry Holland over kind of around the Fort Worth area. It's one of the best tools there is. And my dad got me one when I was nine years old and I lived on it. So I would contribute that and just wanting to do it a lot. And then always was very active physically. I was motivated to go work out myself so I stayed physically fit and active as well. Okay. I mean, you can't be out of shape and do this. Yeah, for sure. Tell me about your pro career. So, you know, once you, you finally got to the stage where you were competing with adults and, and you had moved sort of the, to that next level, tell me what that looked like. Dad kept me kind of under his wing and he more or less, I could say, 
tried to protect me, tried to hold me back. And that was a big, I wanted to go everywhere. And when I was, you know, 16, like I told you in row double lot was the bull's name, went to the finals twice. I got on him twice that winter because dad said I had to ride him if I wanted to go where I wanted. Otherwise he was really going to keep me at home and let me grow up another year. And so I rode the bull. So he was like, okay, we'll go. And so summertime starts, you have what's called NMRAs. They're New Mexico Mm -hmm. Rodeo Association, TCRAs. They're here in the panhandle. And I would enter those as well as big open competitions. And I ended up finishing uh, second for the year in the NMRAs against adults. And I focused there more because I got a lead built up. TCRAs, um, you know, I'm talking... Uh, I had a 4th of July run and won three uh, events in a row. And to me, it was very, very cool. Outwardly, I'm glad that I've got the parents I have, or inwardly too, and that I have feedback from friends and folks that I was a, a nice young man and respectable because in my mind, I was kind of this cocky little kid that could do anything. Yeah. And that's probably the approach you really have to have. When I was going to say that may be necessary. To- an extreme sport that is life-threatening. I mean, it is. So if you don't have that internally, that, you know, think you can do it all, it's, uh, you probably don't need to be even yeah. trying. Did you get to a point where you thought, okay, I, I'm seeing some success um, I, I think this can be like my full-time thing. I mean, were, did you have a full career in mind as, as a professional? Yes, that's what I had in mind. And so I turned 18 and jumped in with guys that were already going. Corey Navarre took me under his wing and taught me how to go down the road and enter at these PBR touring pros. He had made the collegiate finals, he'd made the NFR and the PBR finals all in the same year. So this guy knew how to hit the road. And we entered and I went all across the country, up and down the East Coast. I was got on bulls in the state of New York, Syracuse, New York, all the way I got to compete in Canada. And I did not find the success that I thought I would. It is a different level when you get to PBR. Mm-hmm. And I got a little discouraged. I did enough to keep going, but I was not finding success for say just here and there a couple little long go checks you know ride a bull in the long go i wasn't wasn't riding the short go bulls i broke my arm up in foresight montana when i was 18 and it brought me back home here to the canyon amarillo area and uh i had to kind of regroup and rethink this over and that's i was questioning some things then and got my feet back under me and kind of really focused on it I went down to a place in Lubbock. Uh, if you're familiar with rodeo, it's Charlie Thompson. Everyone knows mm-hmm. that. And uh, that's where I got back warmed up on some bulls and then started entering again. And it was April of 2018 that I won my first touring pro in Huntsville, Alabama. And I called my dad on the phone and I was like, you know, there's no stopping me now. I I know I can do this. And I did. I took off from there and And I had that confidence again that I had when I first started winning against adults when I was in, you know, a teenager. So just 18 years old, win Huntsville, and I went on to win four of those cheering pros in a five-month span. Wow. Once you started to win at that level, tell me what the moments after that started to look like. It just became routine. Like, you show up, this is your job, and you do it, and it's fun. Mm -hmm. And I got to travel the country, and I loved it. It wasn't work it was I was just having a blast as a kid 
my focus was to win. So, you know, bull riding was over. I was hitting the road to the next one or going to bed. I wasn't about staying out and uh, finding all the sights and sounds, you know, that happen after midnight. Dad always yeah. told me nothing good ever happens after then. So, At what point did the accident happen? <clears throat> Mesquite, Texas was September 2008. 2008, okay. Uh, September 6th. And this was after that stretch that where you been after winning and winning and, and the confidence was back. And right. You, you were developing, you know, as, as a name on the circuit. Yes, I was, you know, at the Touring Pros, that's, they take a break in the summer from the, used to be the Built Ford Tufts, now I think it's Unleashed the Beast Tour. Either way, that's where the top 35 in the guys go in the world. They take a break in the summer from May to the middle of September. Okay. During that break, those top guys in the world are going to touring pros. So I'm competing against the top 35 as I'm winning those on that hot streak. And I'm getting held back. They'll save two or three guys to announce at the, you know, the feature. And they were holding me back, featuring right. me as one of the So you're like one of those up and coming top billing, you right. know, at, at the different events. They were selling me at their events and I liked it. What I ran into is I knew I was so close to making the cut to get on the top 35. I just needed to win, you know, X amount of more dollars. That summer I had already won close to 30000 And I had my sights on that goal that I had set, you know, when I was a nine-year-old that I wanted to make the PBR finals. And I had subluxed my shoulder twice. I had a torn growing and I wasn't in the best of shape to be physically competing at 100%. Mentally, I had it. And so I kept going and entering, and I probably should have rested a little mm. bit. And to let those injuries heal, because exactly. that, those weaknesses maybe can be a disadvantage. They are. So, so I had all that going into Mesquite. Okay, so at Mesquite, I mean, tell me, tell me what you remember. What was the name of the bull? <laughs> I don't remember You that. don't remember that one? No, I don't. <laughs> That uh, it was a classic event, so what that means is the bulls there are competing as well, okay. Um, so not only us riders are competing, but the bulls are, and uh, you know, you get the top classic bulls make the finals as well, and they're competing for a prize as well. So it's a bull competition, it's a rider competition. I don't remember what I had. Tell me what happened, just routine changed a little bit. I was using a little more tape than I should, and I was doing that because. I was trying to pad some of the things I was nursing, like my shoulder, mm -hmm. and uh, Bull was a little rowdy in the shoot and everything, and I just, all I know is to cowboy up, and I have got a little behind in my ride, and I'm going to say that's because uh, some of the injuries I was battling, I shouldn't have, and so the Bull's turning back into my hand, and you do what's called a Hail Mary, so... It's just chunking over the back of your head trying to cut the bull off. So you're trying to shortcut him by doing almost a wrong move to throw yourself over back Your body's place. reacting to the movement of the bull, and you're trying to maintain that balance yep. by counteracting it a little bit. Instead of just dominating and countering his moves, matching, you're trying to cut him off. It's more of a risk situation doing it, and my hand didn't stay shut, and I hit going, you know, outside, outside of the spin, head first. Hmm. Neck broke, uh, bull stepped on me, broke ribs, punctured lung, broke back, and I made a phone call after all that passed, a phone call that I 
never in my wildest dreams thought I'd be making. And I called my dad and all I knew to say is it wasn't good. Hmm. And that was, that was after you had been taken to the hospital. That was, was it in the process of loading into okay. the ambulance. So you were still aware. I remember it all. I was awake. You never lost Total, consciousness never. or anything like that. Not until I was in the ambulance and I bet it's cause they gave me something. Yeah. I don't remember the ride to the hospital, but I remember getting lifted into the ambulance. Tell me about, you know, once, uh, once you sort of got stabilized about the extent of your injuries and what, you know, what you knew initially, what the doctors told you. Shoo, I didn't, I was intubated for three weeks on a ventilator and waking up, I didn't know what was going on by the time that passed. That's a really fuzzy spot in my life to so try you, to like, remember. So you made the call you know, before you got to the hospital, right. and then you just, it's three weeks later. Yes. That's where you exactly. kind of came to. By the time I'm finally able to talk to somebody and like, I mean, dad's sitting with me in there. They, he drove in, you know, whenever he did, right when it happened, I'm sure. And, uh, you know, he makes the call to my mom and says, you know, I finally said something. I don't remember what it was. <laughs> what uh, uh, I figured it out in rehab and the biggest thing that finally hit was when we were leaving rehab. Let me paint a picture for you is my first therapies were swallowing therapies because that flap wasn't working. Mm-hmm. It would just go in, you know, straight into my lungs. That finally started working and I was weaning off the ventilator and they were trying to see if I could feed myself with adaptive silverware and I had to have assistance lifting my left hand up to my mouth to feed mm-hmm. myself. Basically, that's where I'm at, and then I'm going to go to outpatient there, and as we're on the way out of the hospital, PT pulls my dad aside that had worked with me and said, you might as well get that boy to face reality. That's all he's ever going to have, and he needs to learn to live with it. That you're going to need help you know, with basic tasks like feeding yourself, but also you're, you're in a wheelchair, you've got limited mobility, and, and that's going to be the rest of your life. Right. A power wheelchair that I could only drive with my left hand, right hand if it falls off the armrest, someone has to pick it up and set it back yeah. on there. So obviously that's not where you are today because no. uh, you wheeled yourself in, you're drinking from a mug of coffee, you know, with both hands exactly. that are moving. I want to talk about sort of the progressions that you've made. But before we get to that point, I'd, I'd like to dig in just a little bit to the therapist talking about trying to get you to face reality. Um, clearly they saw that you weren't quite on the same page that they were. Um, so do you, do you remember, you know, having this dream, all of a sudden the injury has just thrown it into chaos and, you know, you've got to, you know, deal with the emotional aftermath of that. So do you remember thinking, okay, rodeo's done? Or did you think I'm going to, I'm going to fight back from this? What was the acceptance or the grieving or all the different stages, you know, maybe that you go through after that? There were several different feels. Uh, you went, I went through several things emotionally. And, you know, I'm just 19 years old, and I have the attitude that I want to recover all the way to take off running and get on bulls again. That's what I, my goal is. My goal's set there, and I want to see it done in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. I had more setbacks after, and we were blessed to finally find a uh, place out in California it was called Project Walk, and which now stuff I go to in Austin, Easter Seals, Central Life, Texas, is the guy there is does the same type of program based off of it, but he's even better. 
that is what really started uh, helping me get some changes. But I lived out there nine months, and when I came home, my goal was not met, you see, because I thought I was going to be taking off running. And right. And so I I was crushed. I definitely hung my head low, uh, dealt with some depression, I would call it for sure, and had to regroup and figure things out. Obviously, you are, um, you're somebody who, before the injury, was athletic and was driven and worked hard, you know, to be ready for, you know, the bull riding. After that, did, did you find that you could still sort of tap into that mentality of, I'm going to put the work in, I'm, I'm going to do as much as my body will let me do, you know, to try to get to this point? Did, did you feel limited by your body or did you still have that drive to kind of make it do what you wanted it to do? I still had the drive. You'll hear me use this a lot more and uh, with some things we'll talk about later on, but it's called There's No Quit. Mm-hmm. And what that came out of is that's that's what I've known my whole life. And there's no quit on giving up on your hopes, your dreams. There's no quit on giving up on those you love, your family. There's no quit on your faith. Do we know what the outcome is? No, but there's no quit. You just keep going forward. Tell me about um, the stem cell therapy and how you began to see some of those you know, some of those good changes and, and getting beyond a few of those, you know, therapy plateaus that you were starting to face. We uh, started looking into that big contribute to my mom. And just to fast forward that story, we got to use stem cells, my own adult stem cells derived from my bone marrow. And after my first time getting to use that, I started getting some changes when I coupled it with the intense exercise mm-hmm. therapy that I was already doing, and we started getting some progress. What year was that? Got to remember? experience my first one in 2011. Okay. Three years post-injury. There's an old saying in the medical community that three years after your injury, that's all you're going to have. A lot of people still even believe that. Hmm. I've had the most change in my recovery, 2011 to present. Wow. And I even hit a little dry spell probably in, well, 2012 right at the end all the way to 2014 and 2014 what changed that is I had my first Cohen Pocket Invitational PBR as a fundraiser so that I could go do that therapy again. So do you think it was you know obviously the the therapy and the ability to do that but but also you got back into the rodeo world and you you re-entered you know that arena not as a competitor but as you know, an event planner as, as somebody who was putting on some of the events. I think mental and something that someone has something to do, uh, you know, me specifically, I love getting to do this event I do. I'm passionate about it. And yeah, I get to stay involved with the sport I've loved since I could talk. Since I was nine years old and I wanted to be a part of professional bull riders, I'm getting to. I'm living the dream, getting to put on this event in Amarillo. It is cool. Tell me about the event because I know it's coming up in you know in early July. Give me a sense of like, you know, we we think about rodeos and Amarillo and and all those kinds of things, and it, it feels like a, a regular part of life in the city. But I don't have a real good perspective of like what it means outside here. So thinking about this has your name on it, the competitors who are in it, like what's what's the profile of this event outside our immediate area? It's got a different 
uh, feel to it. Amarillo is very cowboy based, very ranching based, very country. We enjoy it, but when you get a touring pro out in California or you get it up in upstate New York, uh, like Syracuse is an event I remember, the fans there go nuts. They just think bull riding is like this crazy, awesome thing to see. Because it's so different from and their it, lives out and there. And it is. And and we've come here, and unless we got a bull or a rider that does something spectacular, we're kind of like, okay, I mean, Amarillo is cowboy. Yeah. That's another rodeo. Yeah. But it's not. Actually, PBR is not a rodeo. That's the saying they say. And I, I go to a lot of people, and they're like, you know, calling it a rodeo, that's what separates it from everything else. Yes, we have rodeos in Amarillo, and we have ranch rodeos, a big part of our heritage, and we love it. But PBR, it's professional bull riding only. You're bringing world champions. It's an extreme sport. You're bringing animal athletes to the city of Amarillo that love to compete and are outstanding in their own aspect, the bovine athletes. And there is nothing else. It's the only event. And it's the only standalone um, sport that rodeo has or that came out of rodeo. And it's been successful for 26 years and just grown into something way bigger than anybody could have ever seen. The bull riders who come for your event, um, they're, they're some of the top ones yes. working today. Yes. How did you sort of get your event, you know, starting in 2014, starting something new? I, n- I know that you had a reputation within that community, but how did you build it up to the level that it could be part of this PBR circuit? Was well, that a hard process? It was. And in some ways, I wish I could tell you how I got it here. And I look back and I don't know how I'm here. July 6th, going to be in the Amarillo National Center, professional bull riding event. And entries are already open and we've already got some of the top 35 guys in the world going to be here how i got it there it has to do with amarillo the city of amarillo convention and visitor council all the sponsors the fans the contestants it's not me i'm just promoting it putting in the work and putting it on and it's amarillo you bring this here is how i would say it got there you still got a reputation in that world. I mean, how at I this got point, started people know your their, name. On their world, how I got started, yes. First one, it wasn't sanctioned with PBR. It was just Coben Puckett Invitational 2014 and my friends, my buddies that I rode with that are still riding, and uh, they came and supported. You know, Jordan Hupp, Casey Hayes uh, were among those there. I wish I could remember more that were at that first event. These are guys that made the finals. Mm-hmm. So they came to an open event to support me. That's yeah, those are guys you had, had ridden with back yes, in 2008. Exactly. It's a it's a fundraiser, I know. So tell me tell me about that aspect of it. Like what what are the funds going to that that you raise from it? Press on Foundation, a nonprofit set up to specifically help individuals like myself to fund this specialized spinal cord injury recovery therapy and it gives a scholarship to people to go to Austin, Texas and participate in this therapy at Easter Seals with Chad Steed, their director, and has helped get stem cell injections for myself and a couple others. And that is the growth of it. And just after 2015, last year's event, it helped six individuals off of the funds raised at that event to do this. So 
that's the purpose behind it. And I'm so excited that it's grown to that size. Tell me where you are right now in your therapy and recovery. Like I, I know that, that you'll have a lot of periods of growth and then you'll kind of plateau and then you'll, you'll break through that. Like give me a snapshot of where you are right now. Hmm, snapshot where I am right now. I would say that I'm on a steady, very slow uphill journey, but nothing's regressed and I'm not stuck. I'm not staying still. So I'm just going to keep going with it. I went down to Austin, Texas in May of this year and had good reports. They were pleased, able to notice some uh, better function in some lower levels, muscular mm-hmm. and neurological that I couldn't activate as well before. And that's awesome. That, I was, is uh, that a result of, of the stem cell treatment, that it's, it's sort of helping those uh, neurological connections kind of you know, refire? And, and Coupled with the exercise therapy, yes. Uh, bone marrow is very plentiful with cells. A person can replace their bone marrow supply within days. You're pulling stem cells out of the bone marrow, which are very plentiful there, and you're putting them, I'm injecting them back into my spinal cord. Okay. Nerves, we all know this, we're told nerves are the slowest to grow, or you get the slowest change in a nerve. You ever get nerve damage in a finger, like it's a long time before it returns. So we're taking and putting our own body's healing power back in uh, the stems, uh, in the spinal cord, and so these cells grow and turn into whatever they're supposed to be. They're your genetic makeup. They're going to go in there. And ideally what you want, if you could tell them what to do, is, oh, go up here in my neck and start growing new nerve endings and repairing the damaged ones. Yeah. They don't take we, direction. They don't take direction. We're putting them in there, and, and it's uh, God's design of a human body that is awesome and made to heal itself we see it when we cut ourselves how it heals up with the scar fast that's what we're trying to do with the spinal cord and that coupled with you have to guide them you have to at least give them something to do if you're just sitting down and you put stem cells in there it's not going to do anything yeah, that's where the exercise and that's the where the stuff. exercise constant stimulation forcing myself up into standing positions uh practicing crawling using a total gym you got to be a little older to know what that is chuck norris used to use one yeah if he can do it then you can do it (laughs) exactly but that's the stuff that i'm actively involved in spend three four hours a day doing okay just to give listeners an idea of you know the recovery process and and how your body changes tell me something that you can do now that you couldn't do a year or two ago even if it's even if it's small the smallest one, let's go to Austin, and I was on what they call a hip glute there. You can look me up on social media, Coben Puckett, and you can see a video of it. So I'm using it, and I have to, it isolates out my abs and hip flexors, and so I'm curling up some weights in a crunch position. It's very designed where it's, you know, I'm probably pulling up three pounds, you know? Right. But it was actively working moving, I'm curling it up, my upper abs are engaging, hip flexors are engaging, where before, you know, I could get it to activate with zero weight. Hmm. So that's the change. And then I could push it back out with my glutes with a little bit as well. So that's what was cool, recently changed. Big change, let's jump back to 2014. I couldn't lean up off the backrest of my chair. 
Hmm. And if someone leaned me up, I would fall forward. Today, I can set up off the backrest of my chair, hold my balance, move around, turn, and can set back, and I won't fall forward. Wow. That's a big change in core and strong stability. And that's as a result of starting this event, getting more involved in exercise therapy, and utilizing cells, stem cells. And a lot of that exercise therapy, it, if I understand this right, like you, you work with a lot of WT students, yes. um, physical therapy students, kind of have a relationship there since you live in Canyon. That's been um, wonderful. They're pre yeah. Tell me about that. PT, OT students. They're bound for you know PT and OT school. Professor Casebolt, shout out to him. He sends me some great ones. But I actually set up through handshake job there, and I always have great help to them. It's awesome because they're like, wow, we get some hands on work, and they usually don't get that till they're in grad school. Yeah. So I take them in and take them down to Austin and be like, all right, this is what we do. I kind of know the therapy like the back of my hand. So I work with them and coach with them. They learn from Chad or Bree or Debbie or whomever I work with how to help me. And then I do it in my own home gym Hmm. and we work from there. Some that have gone on, Brendan Carter, he's uh, in physical therapy school right now at Texas Tech. He's helped me. So it's awesome for them. It's awesome for me and it really works well. And I'm going to give a plug and a shout out to Catherine Granger and her cause of Sister Bears. They're wanting a facility here, and that's what they're motivated to do. And me, I want to help people fund the therapy. Look out. Maybe in the future we can have it here. So tell me, um, as you look toward not just this year's event, but continuing it in the future, I mean, do you have any dreams? Do you have any desire for it to grow or change, you know, from, from that regard, what do you, what do you see happening within the next few years? This is the change I was after since day one is being indoors. I'll even jump back to answer a question a little more. How did I get it from my open event that first year to being sanctioned with PBR is because I have support from those guys that are up there doing it and they know me and I put on a successful event and Cody Lambert, the president uh, he's attended my event twice now since it's been a PBR and checks in on me to see how I'm doing. And Bo Davis with DVS Productions, who also comes up here and the day of helps me do it. That's how I transitioned it from open to a professional event. All right. And that's what made that happen. And you just hope to keep it going from, from year to year. And this is what I want. I, indoors tickets, you got reserved seats. You can sit right up front row to the buck and shoot or you can buy GA uh, there'll be vendors in there. Growth in the future, I would love for it to be two days. Hmm. You know, I'm already set up once, putting on a one-day event. There are lots of these touring pros that, I mean, they go ahead and do a Friday-Saturday night perf, you know, or a Saturday and Sunday perf. That would be awesome to see it go get to there. But for now, one step at a time, I'm just glad to be inside. And and I know we covered this just a little bit, but I, I want to close this section just by asking you a little bit. You you mentioned the partnerships with you know with Amarillo and the tourism board and you know all the different things necessary to kind of turn this into what it is. Tell me how much of Amarillo and Canyon and the people here are a part of this story. They're a huge part. This community is in just embraced this event, embraced the cause so much. It's awesome. I've got lifelong friends up there with people working up there, Dan Quatt, and then getting to work with Hope and Stokes and Holly Hawkins now and Stephanie Andrews. They've been awesome. And 
Eric Miller is who took me under his wing in the mm-hmm. beginning and a former guest a on lot. this podcast, actually. All right. So the the support of those guys and then all the sponsors here in Amarillo that want to be a part of this and a part of a good cause. I'm just in love with living here because, I mean, I've got a lot of friends and it's very homey, very, they're supportive. Okay, I hope you've heard the news on Saturday, August 3rd. This podcast, Hey Amarillo, is bringing you one of the biggest events of the year. The first ever Hey Amarillo Beer Fest at Starlight Ranch Event Center. Doors open at 5 p.m. And for 30 bucks, you'll be able to sample beers from Pondicetta, from Six Car, from the Big Texan Brewery, Long Wooden Spoon, Revolver Brewing, St. Arnold, Deep Ellum, and a bunch more breweries from Texas. It's a celebration of the Texas craft beer scene right here in Amarillo. You'll be able to vote for your favorite local craft beers and meet the people who make them. And that's not all. We'll cap off the event with an outdoor concert featuring Amarillo duo Fine and Dandy, along with Fastlane, an Eagles tribute band. And all of that stuff, the concert, the beer, everything, is included in your admission to the Beer Fest. So get tickets and learn more at bit.ly slash Amarillo Beer Fest. That's bit.ly slash Amarillo Beer Fest. And if you want to sponsor a booth at the event, if you want to be a vendor, let me know. Okay, I'm back with Coben Puckett. Coben, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions, and your job as my guest is to answer those questions in whatever amount of detail you want to. So let's start, and I'm going to ask you one that uh, it's the first time I've asked this one. What's the biggest accessibility challenge you have that that people might not understand? I mean, the easiest way for me to describe this is let's go to Canyon, Texas, and I want to eat at Imperial Taproom. Okay. There is no easy way to get there. The handicap parking is 300 yards, I would say, about three football fields away from it. Really? And you have to cross two streets and go around the back of Palace, or they actually have one handicap spot right at the light, but you're getting out right at an intersection, and I personally don't like to do that. Then you go up a ramp that's steeper than it should be, and you can finally get into the tap room to eat. So as a whole, Canyon and Amarillo accessibility for actually a wheelchair to get in and out of some places there are a lot of difficult places to get in and out of and it takes way more work to get in and out of them and then when i pull up and try to park in a handicap spot they're often taken right so i've catch myself parking in the back and going a good so track. E- even with all the regulations and and the ways that that businesses have to you know conform to some of those there's there's still a lot to go to really be as accessible as, as we want it to be. Yes. What's one thing people don't understand about bull riding? I mean, we can see it happen watching TV of a PBR event or something, you know, and it it's a cowboy trying not to fall off of a bull. <laughs> but tell me what is something that, like, we really don't get unless you do it. Oh, do I have to say only one of them? Well, I mean, you can give me two or three if you want to. I've got three. Okay, give, give me an insider's perspective on it then. Bull riding, I'm going to first go from the perspective of what our view of that animal athlete is, as I call them. It's not a crazy, raging bull who's pissed off at everybody, and we don't stir him up to get him to perform. These guys that are coming to my event, I'll get some on film and show you, check them out. They like to be scratched. They get hand-fed hmm. a specific diet 
these bulls get exercised. And when you load them up on a trailer to go to an event, you leave a couple of the other ones behind because they didn't get to go. They are sad. They're like wanting to hop in the trailer and go. They enjoy doing it. They actually do. And they know when they get in that buck and shoot, it's their time to perform. So they're revved up. And yeah, they might get a little rowdy in there. They're wanting to go do it. And they're patterned, some of them. Not always. You can't protect it. That's what makes it so cool. But you'll have bulls and you can know what they did before or know what they did the last 10 times. And they're going to buck similar. They've got their pattern. They got their style, what they like to do. So there's even some research maybe that's involved. You want to know the bull that you're going to be riding on. Exactly. And they're not, like you said, they're not just angry beasts, you know, that they're getting riled up, that they, they're just like any other animal doing something that they enjoy doing, like a dog that might go outside and start running around just because it makes them happy. Mm-hmm, exactly. And just to go hand in hand with that, the flank rope is nowhere near the bull's genitals. If okay. you look at the anatomy of the bull, a bull's flanks, where it runs across and ties around their waist, is further forward than where the genitals are. All right. So it's so not, that's not part it's of not the touching activity them. that's happening. And you guys out there, I don't think you would want to perform or move if something was around your genitals. I don't love it. So it's more or less if someone's tickling you under your armpit. Okay. All right. So we should just look at the bulls and think that they're out there having fun, getting tickled, and exactly. that's what happens. Okay. What's Last your... one on oh, that. Oh, yeah. I tell me. To. This is the third. It's not just some guy hanging on for dear life. I didn't have much upper body strength at all. I was 120 pounds soaking wet. Um, JB Mooney, I don't know, what does he weigh? 150 and is 5'10", two-time world champ. He doesn't have strength. It's balance. Okay. And it's countering a bull's moves. So it's not hang on for dear life. Okay. It's uh, knowing how to balance. What's your favorite restaurant in Amarillo... Or Canyon? Imperial Tap Room. Okay. We got to go to Canyon. It's awesome. Despite that's the struggles I, to get that's there. That's why I want an easy way in. <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you like at Imperial Tap Room? Steak. Okay. You think their steak compares to any of the other places that you've been? That's, that's a good one? It's the best. Okay. Um, hands down, the best steak I've had that you can get shooting a 500-mile radius because I know of one in Austin I like. What does this area have too much of? Construction that's taking too long. All right. Road construction? Yes. Is that what's on the mind? Road construction. Do you have a sense? No, they whip out the ballpark fast. Well, that's true. So that construction... We can get that done quickly, but (laughs) some of the roads and bridges and stuff are going to take a little bit longer. Yes. Uh, Maybe an incentive thing with that. Do do you have a sense that the construction is is a good thing? Like it's it's a positive sign in Amarillo? Oh, yeah. It is. It, we're growing, and it's going to be easier to get in around when it's finished. We'll actually like it when it's said and done. What does this area not have enough of? Healthy places to eat. Okay. I can't think of many. I mean, we've got Jason's Deli. You go get Eat Right stuff or natural grocery stuff, but, man, you go to Austin, and there are so many places to eat healthy and so many active things to do and activities, and it don't seem like there's enough healthy places or active things to do. I think we're slowly sort of coming around in that regard, but but maybe several years behind places like Austin and, and thinking that way. When was the last time you visited the Big Texan? I believe this was 
four to five years ago. Okay. We can say four. Cousin came in from out of town and his, you know, three-year-old boy wanted to go eat at the Big Texan. So we took them there and we went and ate. And then that's be the last time. I've so it's, it's not the kind of thing that you, you take some of your competitors who come in and, and say, here, let me show you. Let me show you what real cowboy life is like over here at the Big Texan. No, <laughs> nope. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside the area? That I don't want to live anywhere else. I love it here. It is so friendly and inviting, and we have that cowboy in all of us. I mean, our first responders to me and you sitting here, we've all got a little cowboy in us here living in Amarillo. I have just a tiny bit, <laughs> a small a small piece of cowboy. I did used to ride around on a stick horse when I was a kid. Good. So I had that. Went to the Boys Ranch Rodeo a lot of times. All right. What's your favorite kind of local weather? What it's been this month has been phenomenal. We had a lot of rain to get it here. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's called local weather. I mean, it's happening now. It's it's local weather. It's not familiar local weather, I guess, the, the rain we've gotten this year. And I like consistency, and unfortunately, that doesn't usually happen often. Okay. Because it changes a lot. A lot of people talk about how, um, you know, they, they have a, a trick knee or their hip or something can, can sense a change in the weather. Do you, do you feel that way with as attuned to your body as you are? I mean, do you, do you have that sort of sense? Yes. I catch myself going, oh, that's why, and not being surprised like this past Sunday when uh, it got cool and started wind blowing, yeah, the day before, definitely felt it. Is and it like an achiness? It a or a- yeah, it's like an achiness or a stiffness or like a pain in the bone feeling, hmm. and I feel it in my legs. That concludes the eight straight section. Coben, I like to end by asking my guest to endorse something. So tell me one thing that you would want listeners to know about or experience that, that may not be on the radar. First, I want to go with Justice Jeff Boyd for re-election of serving the Texas Supreme Court. A friend of mine, a man of integrity, honesty, that we as a state of Texas greatly benefit from and are blessed from his services. And also that with great honor, I say that his wife, Jackie Boyd, is a board member on the Press On Foundation. Okay. When is when is that election? November, okay. coming up. So that's, that's one of the things that uh, people up in Amarillo or Canyon may not always know or, or be super aware of, of the state Supreme Court. But as long as they know that you've got a personal connection to, to one of the candidates, then maybe that endorsement will go a little further. Now we know. Now we know who to vote for. And then I wanted to throw in a whole bunch of them. Where do I begin? But I'll keep it short. It's, uh, I know how to do it. Go to cobenpucket.com, K-O-B-E-N-P-U-C-K-E-T-T.com. Scroll to the bottom and check out everybody I would endorse. And I'm so thankful that are a part of my event and I hope you do business with them all. All the different sponsors? All the different sponsors of my event. Okay. Well, Coben Puckett, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. It was a blast. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Coben for the interview. You can learn more about this weekend's Invitational at CobenPucketInvitational.com. Thanks to Angelina Marie for editing the podcast every week. And thanks especially to Hey Amarillo's team of supporters and executive producers. 
These include Daniel Davis, Corey Burns, Josh Wood, Neil Mouseman, Wilson Lemieux, Ryan Pennington, Wes Reeves, Jennifer Callahan, Katie Linger, Patrick Burns, and Criselda. You too can support the show. Go to patreon.com slash heyamorello. That's Patreon with an E. More than anything, though, thank you for listening. I appreciate it. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.